0: Our world is dying, politicians are lying, and just when you feel like crying, sit and have a listen to people who have shit themselves.
1: Hello, I'm Claudia. I'm Evie, and we are the hosts of the podcast. And we are on a mission to learn about the lives of those living with bowel and bladder conditions, and this week we are discussing incontinence so Claude's um how have your bum and tum been this week or you know the we as well if we're talking about incontinence All, all things all things do you know what right now they're feeling a little bit
0: dodgy because I was oh, woken please. up last night by a little midnight fairy elf carrying mm. a little plate of mcdonald's for <gasps> me which I did not need What? What? not for you well, so I, I was asleep and okay. then I just felt this like, you know, the bed sink a bit with, with my boyfriend sitting, essentially falling down, let's be honest, falling onto the bed. But he brought up this tiny little plate with about four chicken nuggets and some chips and a little dollop of ketchup. And he was like,
1: "Claire, Claire,
0: for your present <laughs> And I, was, I thought I was under attack and then my nose woke up. And I was like, "Hold on, that smells like the sweet smell of nuggets." Yeah. And I've brushed my teeth. I was already in
1: sleepland, and yeah, yet, you just and- to having a midnight stack of nuggets. Like, could you not have just... let... Oh dear. Okay, your face is telling a different story. <laughs> Would <laughs> you have denied it? This poor sweet man. Oh, I'd man? have to because I can't eat them. Oh but yeah. If they were gluten-free nuggets. Oh uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. Probably okay. not. I probably wouldn't have been able to resist.
0: I got very excited. I don't think I was fully awake and I like gobbled them down instantly and then was then lying in bed, feeling like crap afterwards. And then he's just, you know, passed out next to me in a drunken slumber, perfectly fine. So I thought, for God's sake, I was asleep. I was fine. And then you bring me up this little tray of temptation. I fucking take it because I have absolutely no standards, essentially. And... Then I felt terrible, so I woke up this morning not feeling that great. But mm. other than that, my bum and tum they they've been okay this week. I think we've spoken before about in this heat I always get terrible diarrhea, terrible. So Me that's too. not been ideal. And then hilariously, you finished your self isolation, uh, and I literally went onto Instagram to see that <laughs> Evie had come out for self isolation. She put a little picture on that said freedom, and then. About ten minutes later, I had a notification saying you need to self-isolate for eight days. So I so bad and funny. It's so bad and funny. I was very I was very sad because I missed seeing Alyssa Edwards, who's my favourite drag queen of Free Drag Race, live in concert. Spent a lot of money on tickets,
1: been waiting since January to see them. And yeah, that popped up a few hours before I was supposed to I see mean, her. I mean, th- I think that's, I mean, obviously it started off being funny because I literally was outside, took a picture, put it on Instagram, like, I'm out in the sunshine, hooray. And then like straight away, Claudia messaged me saying, yeah, I'm, I've got to go home now and isolate. And then I was like, oh, that's funny. But I had a <laughs> great, I had a great time isolating. You'll be absolutely fine. And Claudia was like, mm, yeah, except I am missing something I've desperately wanted to do tonight. And that was, I suppose the sort of chasm between us in that I don't plan fun social things and I stay at home on my own. You actually do things. So uh It's you my downfall. <laughs> it's my downfall. <laughs> so so did somebody take your ticket?
0: No, that I think my sister managed to get a refund, but her and her boyfriend okay. still went and they said they were gonna like, we're not gonna tell you what happens, we're gonna tell you that it was a terrible show. But I what I wanted I wanted to know and yeah. they said it was one of the best nights of their lives. So that was good. And they got really close and they got to meet her and they were sat near the cast of dairy girls and they just had a genuinely fantastic fucking time.
1: Oh Um But I'm I've ordered sorry. myself
0: a puzzle so you know <laughs> yeah
1: I do feel like you're gonna be fine though because I mean obviously missing out on things is, is bad but in your own company you're and you know with your puzzles you're great it'll I be feel like fine. It fine I think the know. only
0: thing that I'm a bit annoyed about and I mean this does might feel a bit stupid because the guests that we've got coming on today this is might think that this is not hot but it's gonna be what 27 28 degrees on Monday is it kind of hot she's
1: laughing okay <laughs> that's hot for here it's pathetic um, oh god it is 27 tomorrow and 28 on, on monday with yeah absolutely no clouds i just want to clarify to our transatlantic listeners that we are talking about celsius not fahrenheit You know when they're like it's 120 outside. I'm like, what does that mean? We'll be in hell. So, so you're telling me I live in a kettle? I don't understand. (laughs) Don't
0: understand. Well, this is the only thing. So now I'm a bit sad that I've got to sit in my teeny tiny patio when it's freaking hot. But it does mean that I don't
1: have to go to work when it's absolutely fucking boiling. And you've got an outside space. I actually at one point hung my legs out of the window (laughs) because I don't have a garden and I open the window. Put my legs outside. Mate. And also then, but the, the the window won't open far enough to be a whole body. So I was just sticking body parts at a time out <laughs> of the window. Um, so I'm sorry about that, Claude. But, um, Thanks, mate. Yeah, that's, I was going to say it's a bit shit, but I, I I think the isolation I've just come out of was the best week of my life. So
0: <laughs> well, I, I, me, I don't have
1: anything to say. How was your bum and tum okay. after this wonderful week of isolation? Thank you so much. My bum and tum was great. The one thing I will say, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast last week, because it, had it happened at this point, about the text I got from my GP? No, the no. call. No, the call. I got a call from my GP. So so people 25 to 30 um, from Monday were supposed to get their text. Yeah. Last Saturday, day two of isolation, the phone's ringing, it's my GP surgery. And I was like, ah, hello. And uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, hi there. um are you free now? Do you want to come in for your vaccine? We've got loads of spares. And I was like, are you fucking joking me? I'm in sodding isolation. No. And they were like, don't worry about it. Are you free next Saturday? So I've got, after this, I've got to go for my, um, got to go for my I vaccine, Pfizer vaccine. Um, and which is sooner than my boyfriend, which is hilarious because he's so old. He's 56, as we know. I'm not being um, funny. I'm getting a
0: little bit aggy about
1: this. I feel like I'm the
0: last person in the friggin country after after being classed though technically as a key worker i am the You're last still. person i know to, i'm not getting mine till the middle of july now because i had to cancel mine this week because of sodding self-isolation
1: that is really shit sorry that's How, really shit i'm getting agged i'm ah aggie c's coming well aggie C also, is coming out. the thing out. is like if you do get it you'll probably you'll probably be fine <laughs> you probably won't die so is that
0: chris witty on the la-
1: that's him right there <laughs> <laughs> the science is in it's fine it's fine look i'm not a scientist but you know it will go really quick it will go so quickly i was getting so cross in like march when, like 18 year olds on the isle of man were getting vaccinated i was obviously still getting public transport to work every day like fuck this but actually like it, it just will it will come it will
0: come it'll,
1: it'll come sweetie you know
0: Thanks, <laughs> it'll be all friend.
1: right appreciate that. um but yeah, so I had a good week of isolation. Um, bum and tum have been actually quite under control. But, um, but yeah, I'll let you know how I feel after this Pfizer vaccine because I've heard, you know, some people are not feeling so great. Yeah, so. yeah. You'll be fine. I think you just have a bit of a dead arm. Mm, oh, some people have like fevers and stuff though.
0: Oh shit. Okay, fine. Yeah, maybe, but, but maybe then you again,
1: be. I have my flu jab every year and everyone always says, well, you know, I feel a bit fluy after this and I, I don't even get a sore arm when I have that, so... Sure. but you know i appreciate these are very different things so. we're not bragging guys we're just we've we'll just got
0: fantastic immune systems but terrible bowel systems that that is where <laughs> that's where it balances out for us you know <laughs> can't have it all can't have it all we we won't get coronavirus but we will shit ourselves <laughs> amazing permission to discuss conditions So this week we are looking at incontinence and we are joined from across the globe by Aussie model, businesswoman, author and motivational speaker, Anya Christofferson. Anya has become a global ambassador for Vactoral Association, a lifelong disability that affects many bodies, a lifelong disability that affects many body systems of which Anya was diagnosed with at 28 weeks into her mother's pregnancy. Anya has had a successful modelling career walking in Amsterdam Fashion Week at just 17. Her story of model to role model has led her to become a youth ambassador for the Continents Foundation of Australia and to writing her autobiography and self-help book, Behind the Smile, an inspirational journey from disability to ability. I'm now thinking, what the hell am I doing with my life? But we will welcome you anyway, Anya. How are you and how's your bum and tum?
2: Thank you so much, Claudia. I'm so happy to be here. And you made me sound really, really, really good. I feel a little bit like a fraud.
0: <laughs> Honey, um, my- you got it going on. You're good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> my mom and hum, always problematic. Problematic now, problematic since day one. Um, I, yeah. I think that's about as much as I can add, you'll probably hear the rest very soon.
0: <laughs> Everyone's on the edge of their seats waiting to hear about the problematic bum and dum. So can you talk us through a little bit then about factorial association and if it's even possible to surmise how, how it affects your body?
2: absolutely so I'll try and keep it as short as I can because this could be a very very long story so (laughs) is an acronym it stands for vertebral anal cardiac tracheal esophageal renal and limb you have to have three to qualify under the diagnosis and it's one in 10,000 to one in 40,000 births wow so in terms of my vertebral problems um, I'm missing bones in my sacrum, so that actually affects some of your pelvic nerves, so I can't really feel too much down there, which is a bit of a problem sometimes. Yeah. Um, I have an extra lumbar vertebra, so I'm nice and tall, which helps me <laughs> with the modeling. I have scoliosis, which, you know, curvature of the spine, um, and I have some half-formed vertebrae, which are called hemivertebra. A is anal, so instead of just having um, the three pelvic openings like the normal people do, <laughs> I had one, um, and coming into the one, which was a cloaca, I had my intestines, urethra, and two vaginas. So when I was born, I had to have a colostomy and a vesicostomy for my bowel and my bladder, and then a reconstruction when I was seven months old, where they literally cut from front to back and made the three openings again before reversing my colostomy and vesicostomy so I could go to the bathroom normally. Wow.
1: it's remarkable
2: was cardiac. Um, so cardiac, I was born with a hole in my heart. It repaired itself magically, um, but I do have some heart problems at the moment. So I'm on some medication for that. Um, tracheal esophageal is food pipe, air pipe. So when I was born, I had no joint to my stomach at all. And my food pipe was connected into my air pipe going to my lungs. Um, so at that five hours old surgery, I had to have that connected the right way um, as well r oh, is renal so i had only one kidney i an l limb i'm not affected so all of my problems are internal secret um and on the outside i look perfectly healthy <laughs>
0: I mean, it's just really reminding me. I work in a primary school. And so obviously you're learning the alphabet and it's always like <laughs> A is for apple. And I'm like, A, a. is for anal, <laughs> A, A, A. This is just,
1: I think we should start
0: teaching it like I this. So. It's fantastic.
1: Um, that's absolutely um, fascinating though, because that's not um, a condition that I, before kind of rediscovered you, that I had ever heard of before. Um, how common is it? And anyone that has it, how How many of those tend to affect them? Um, Like, is it normal that everything is affected or maybe just one one and two?
2: Overall, it's one in
1: 10,000 to one
2: in 40,000 births. Um, And that range is so large because it's a rare condition and there's not enough research into it. Um, But each of those letters can affect about one in 5,000. So like the A for anal um, is anorectal malformation that affects about one in 5,000. But the form that I have, which was the cloaca, is the most complex form. Um, And unfortunately, that's about, I think, one in 20,000. So it's a little bit more rare.
0: And how does how do you manage this on a on a day to day basis? Is it kind of you it, it can be quite predictable or can this can this condition throw you off a lot?
2: Um, It definitely throws me off. I think a lot of people expect me to be a very highly organized person, Um, but in terms of my, in my professional life, yes, but in my personal life, I just go with the flow and just see what happens, because I'm so used to the unpredictability of it, Um, and I think that's where it kind of struggles to fit into, you know, social and educational and employment systems, because there is no like cycle, there is no constant. It's so unpredictable. There can be days when I may not be able to get out of bed or leave the bathroom or do certain things, but other days I function fully. And it's not like I have a disability, where it's other days I feel incredibly disabled because I can't do very, very simple things.
1: I think something you've spoken about quite a lot is um, people identifying as disabled. I think especially when, you know, on the outside, there's no obvious disability. How, how do you work that into your, your daily life in regards of you know, using disabled toilets or having to speak to employers about what your needs and requirements? How do you manage that?
2: That's a really good question because I think disability is something that's huge about identity. And I only really started to use the word disability in relation to myself, probably my late teens, which isn't really that long ago now. Um, now I embrace the term because I've realized what the actual definition of disability is, and it's not being able to do certain things. And even when it comes down to eating, like I can't swallow, I don't have any, um, muscle like contractions in my esophagus. So just simple things that people take for granted and I can't do. So I started to realize, actually, I do have a disability and I do need to kind of give myself some sort of validation and credit for that, even though sometimes I look at myself and I, a little bit like a fraud because i don't look like that standard image of disability um, and i have a lot of people tell me that i don't look disabled so i rarely use disabled toilets i haven't used any disabled parking um, but now i do study full-time and i've used the disability liaison officer there which i've felt really <laughs> naughty doing but it's been great because I've made it. um, but yeah i think it's it's a challenge Because sometimes I'm that disabled person and sometimes I'm not, it's not a constant.
1: That's really, really interesting. I think particularly about the, you mentioned the word um, identify there. And I think that that's something that's quite difficult for a lot of people to get their head around. I mean, so many people we've spoken to Kind of didn't really, didn't really like consider themselves to be disabled or use that, and then they were like, "Oh, hang on! Actually, I desperately need to use this disabled toilet, and it's just... I mm-hmm. think that can be quite a difficult thing to kind of accept as well. To be like, actually, yeah, I am disabled. And just, from what you've described there, I mean, I just think anybody would say, well, yeah, you know, of course you need. Maybe at times we'll need special requirements, but as you say, when it's not a constant thing, that that's really really hard because it's not always going to be um, in the same way that you need those requirements. Yeah, and
0: also people's perception. I remember we've had a
1: guest on previously who um, was marched
0: out of a bar after um, security thought she was dealing drugs in a disabled toilet because she'd gone in to change her bag and had taken her boyfriend with her because she didn't want to put all of her things on the floor. There wasn't, there was not really any, anywhere for her to put her changing requirements there. And so they they'd marched out, and she'd had to essentially have this huge confrontation because they didn't believe her that she would need a disabled toilet. And so often, you know, it it can be so much about yes, what you identify as, but it's people's perceptions and and people's own understanding of what conditions are that can be the issue. And I
2: think that it needs to just come to disability being recognised as a spectrum and I think it is being acknowledged more as there are being invisible disabilities, which I think is excellent. Um, but yeah, I think just viewing it as a spectrum, how we view, you know, gender now, um, it needs to happen with disability too.
0: Absolutely. And growing up, obviously, I mean, we have found from this podcast that incontinence or talking about our bowels and toilet time can be a bit of a taboo subject. How was that for you? Like, how were kids at school? How was, you know, relatives, friendships, that kind of thing? Were, were you able to talk about incontinence with with confidence or was it something you had to get used to?
2: So I had two quite distinct different stages, I think, through my schooling My first stage was when I was in grade one and I thought that everybody else had incontinence and all the same um, medical challenges that I did. And for my incontinence management, I do these things called washouts, which are basically, you know, rectal enemas. Um, So I was running around the playground asking people about their washouts and everyone was so
1: confused.
2: And so I come home to mum and I'm like, mum, these people at school are dumb. They don't know what washouts are, what's going on. And so she sit down and explain. Not everyone has washouts. Um, and I was kind of like framed with it's different, not it's a bad thing, not I'm just feel sorry for you. So I just thought, yeah. oh, okay. it's different. So then I had a topic for show and tell that I could use every time. So I didn't have to worry about the new toy that I bought or an <laughs> adventure to go on. I could just I actually made a poster with my mum. And I found it recently and it has the most graphic photos of like my colostomy and me with my legs like called, like this and the ICU as a baby. Um, we even made like a spot the difference with like white out on a normal body, like anatomy and stuff. Um, so I would just present that every cycle. It was my turn for show and tell. I'd be like bringing this poster again, educating everybody And I'd say, you know, if you want to see my scars, just tell me. And I'd run around and lift up my shirt and show them my scars at school. And it was just so normal and so open. There was no bullying. There was no weirdness because it was just another thing. And I feel like because people understood it more, it wasn't something that had that that shame and stigma. Um, But then I think as everyone seems to go through a stage where you just want to be normal, and I started to go through that in my late primary school and high school years. And I just wanted to fit in and be like everybody else. So I just basically only told my close friends, but I was open with my close friends. But then the out of public, I didn't do my big show and tell anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, now at conferences. So like
0: <laughs> full circle. <laughs> I mean, that's such testament to your mum as well, that like you said that she never said that, you know, people might feel sorry for you or whatever, that this is just this is just difference. Everybody has different things about their body and this is yours and it's teaching kids from a young age to be accepting and, and to not look at differences as something that is bad or wrong, just something that's different. I think that's brilliant.
2: Yeah, I just never had that perception that it was a bad thing. And I just give so much credit to my mum, especially for that because I think you can tell when you grow up and people have always given sympathy that the person genuinely feels, God, something must be wrong with me. Like, why does everyone feel so sorry for me all the time? But no one felt sorry for me. I got a lot of tough love. (laughs) But yeah, I'm glad.
0: I mean, that's the best show and tell. Like I said, I work in a primary school. I've never heard of such a good show (laughs) and tell. I would actually sit and listen. Every day it's about
1: Buzz Lightyear and you're like, oh, for God's sake, I would sit and listen to this one. (laughs) Yeah. I'd like to see the... I think as a primary school kid, I would have loved those graphic photos. I would have been like, bring it out. <laughs> Love it.
0: And then, so then you went into modelling at quite a young age. How, how did this start for you, Anya?
2: So that, it actually was a bit of a rocky start, to be honest. So how it all eventuated was my mum told me that I wasn't ladylike enough. I didn't cross <laughs> my legs the right way. I didn't eat with, like, my mouth closed enough. Like... <laughs> Just there were certain things that weren't too ladylike. And my mum was born in the 50s and apparently women of the 50s go to deportment like classes. Oh, wow. So I got enrolled in deportment classes and the compromise was that it was a modeling and deportment class. So <laughs> I, did, I did this course, it was just a week long. You get taught all the deportment stuff and then, you know, makeup and hair and posing and like fashion walking and all of that. Um, so i learned about all of that And I decided like, hey, this is actually something that I want to do. And I don't only want to do it for me, but I want to do it to represent other people with scars and diversity and disability. But I don't want to be that token model that gets on the catwalk because I'm disabled. I want to get there without anyone knowing. Um, And then once I've got to a level that I'm proud of, then I want to be able to share that with people. So I went on my way. I applied to tons of agencies and it was just knock back, knock back, knock back, knock back. And i finally got my foot in the door somewhere and i went to an interview they were like yes we want you on our books and i showed them my they were asked if i had any scars i said yes showed them my stomach and they said i'm really sorry but you'll never be able to show your stomach as a model ever um and i was shocked because i thought that there was this diversity thing happening in the fashion industry or otherwise there was this other thing called photoshop so i was (laughs) was so confused um so I felt a bit disheartened and I decided that I would just pursue fashion in general. So I started learning how to sew and bead and all of that. And I was pretty hopeless, (laughs) but I was trying. And so I made a little fashion show and I took photos and all the clothes. And then I tried to sell them to my friends. Um, And it just actually turned out that um, one night when I was on the toilet, (laughs) like after having a big long hospital admission um, with a blocked bowel, I was literally, I like to think, getting rid of all the shit in my life and ready for new beginnings. And I just saw this modeling casting pop up on my phone. And it was a week before the casting. I hadn't liked any modeling pages on like Facebook at all. It was just a total coincidence. Um, I applied, I went, I got a contract two days later. It was only a three month development contract. I worked my ass off. Within a month, I was extended for a year. Um, and within a year of that contract, I went over to Europe. I worked really hard with another agency and I got my foot in the door there, um, got a contract and was living overseas for two months at 17. So that was just like a dream come true for me. I couldn't believe it. And I just, yeah, I really just worked so, so hard and I had to
1: fight a lot of obstacles, but we made That's it. That's amazing. <laughs> That's what an yes. achievement. And and what part of that, during what part of that process um, having obviously just been told, you know, you're never going to show your stomach as a model because of your scars, when you then applied for the casting that came up on your phone, at what point did you say, just to let you know, I have scars, or I've got a disability, did you not mention it? How did that come about?
2: So my strategy was avoid, avoid, avoid. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, for the casting, we had to walk in our bikini and get photos taken in our bikini. So I knew that all of my scars were visible I didn't put makeup over them or anything because I knew that it wouldn't make too much of a difference um but I just did the walk took the photos like I did not mention a thing it, they didn't mention a thing and I just thought great we'll just not talk about that part of it. <laughs> Once I got the contract then obviously I could like acknowledge their existence yeah. um but well then I didn't and it just yeah it was good I guess, worked for me. Yeah, absolutely. And
1: and it's just, it's so peculiar to to me now that somebody would say to you, we don't want you to model because of your scars. Like, surely that is like a huge selling point, because I don't know about you, but I I didn't really see any of that growing up. And it would just help so many people, I think, to see yourself reflected in media. And I do feel like there is a big drive at the moment to try and achieve that and make sure everybody's being represented have you seen anybody in the media with your condition
2: I'm not with my condition no that was one of the reasons why I wanted to be an ambassador or be a voice have a platform and be able to show people that you can have this condition and still live a full life even if you have moments where you feel really disabled and you have a lot of blocks and challenges and whatever else come up I mean, it just kind of boiled down to when my mom was, you know, sitting in hospital with me and ICU as a baby and her and my dad, I've been told the story so many times, they were just so upset and devastated because they had no idea the life that I would live or if I even would live, you know? So I just thought it would bring so many people so much comfort if they could look at someone that was like the future version of their child or themselves and say like, it is actually possible that it doesn't have to be like a
0: disaster. It's amazing. And, and so is this Is this then what led you into motivational speaking or did, did you seek this out or were you contacted after people were seeing you and being like, look at what this amazing woman is doing?
2: So I actually sought it out, I think. I kind of had a little bit of a plan in my head loosely and it's kind of actually gone that way. And um, so after the modeling thing happened and I did fashion week overseas, i realized that that was sort of my peak moment that i wanted to get to and i actually ended up having my hips being too big for modeling and for fashion and blah blah blah. so that kind of crashed and burned um and just by coincidence i went through a really really bad year with my health and that was back in 2017. i had three abdominal surgeries in eight months and wow yeah it was it was horrible so After that, I just thought, what are other people doing with my condition? I surely cannot be the only person alive with this. You know, what's my future going to hold? Because right now, I basically thought that this was something that you grow out of. I'd had some illness during high school. But then when I went in for the first surgery that year, when they opened me up, everything was matted together with scar tissue, and they had to close me up and not even continue the operation. Um, and so they basically said, you know, surgery for you is incredibly complicated. Um, these adhesions are really dangerous. They're threatening, you know, your single kidney and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I realized that my life wasn't going to be normal. Um, and I wanted to find out what was happening with other people. So I posted in some Facebook support groups um, and people actually responded really well to my story. And I thought, what? My story has been
1: sort of power? Yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: um, So then, you know, I started talking to some people and I got involved with the not-for-profit foundation um, for anorectal malformation and then it just grew from there and then I got linked in with some other not-for-profits and I started speaking and then it just went one to the next and speaking engagement after speaking engagement and now I'm here.
0: It's amazing. And what's been the response? Have you managed to speak to other people who are going through the same thing, like younger people as well who look up to you as a role model?
2: it's just been incredible it genuinely has been incredible i get messages so often from people parents or people that are affected of all ages um and they just you know they thank me they connect with me and it's just incredible that you can have such a strong bond with someone that you've never met before because you have such a shared experience Mm. and even not vactual related, but just in the incontinence related, because I started doing a lot of advocacy and sharing my story with that. I had people contact me with incontinence, whether they were, you know, 50 year old men in the army, or they were mothers in their 30s with like a few children, you know, everyone could relate to that sense of vulnerability and that sense of having, you know, something that they've kept hidden and that they have to deal with behind the scenes. And I just found that to be so incredible that I suddenly had all these really deep connections that I hadn't necessarily had when I wasn't being true to myself in who I am fully as a person.
0: Mm. And what is the advice that you'd give to these people obviously kind of in day-to-day management or in just for mental health purposes what, what are you hoping to pass on to these people?
2: I think there's so much to pass on and it really depends on their unique situation but just not let your circumstances define you and let your story be your power not something that has to bring you down oh yeah
1: god i need to i need to take my pajamas off and go and do something christ <laughs> I need <to> myself <laughs> <out>. <laughs> honestly it's just so great to hear though and it's something that you kind of what didn't really want to bring up before is now obviously like such a huge aspect of your life and just so important um and can you just tell us about your book please <laughs> Just that casual book that that you wrote.
2: (laughs) So my book is called Behind the Smile, an inspirational journey from disability to ability, um, which I now realise is slightly ableist if you look at it in an ableist (laughs) way, but it isn't. (laughs) I promise you. Um, And it's basically about my journey through my condition. It's got the most graphic details of everything possible. It's got show and tell. That. I can barely read it without blushing. It's even got my first sexual interaction. It's got getting surgery in my genitalia and looking at it in the mirror with my mother. It's got everything in that book. Fucking great. Um, oh, I thought that I just had to absolutely just bear it all. Forget my privacy and dignity. That doesn't matter because, like, it's it's worth the story. It's worth it being okay. It's worth starting these conversations. If I have to lose my privacy... So other people can start the conversation that's so worth it and yeah so it launched in 2018 it still exists and i'm really yeah proud of the message that it shares but it is very
0: intimate and personal i can only is there are there pictures in this book as well back to your show and tell days at primary school are we talking legs open there
2: are a few pictures but i censored them this time they're carefully
0: curated Um. this book has been banned in 12 countries (laughs) I love it and a little bit um, you mentioned that in the book that you talk about your first sexual experience how has dating been do you do you have the same kind of boundaries that you do with work where you um divulging information like how how has that process been So
2: for me, it was a little bit more complicated because, as I mentioned at the beginning, I had the cloaca, which is the one opening, and I had the reconstruction of all three openings. Mm. So I had two vaginas that they made into one, which was basically like a functional Y. So what they didn't tell me when I was little was obviously that was going to create issues with my sexual function. Um, But I only found out when I was, you know, 14 or 15 and other people started having sex and I couldn't even use a tampon. I was like, "There's a bit of a problem here. <laughs> <laughs> that thing's not going to fit. Not that I've even seen it, but like." <laughs> <laughs> um. So I realised that, and I went to a gynaecologist, and the gynaecologist said to me, "Sweetie, two years before you want to have sex, come back to me, and we'll start this process called vaginal dilatation." And I thought, "Great, this is going to be so romantic. Like, can you imagine with a guy in the room, things are getting hot and steamy?" BRB in two years. So anyway, oh my God, this was great for my mum. She did not have to worry about me being locked in rooms with guys on sleepovers because I couldn't do anything. <laughs> I couldn't get pregnant, I couldn't get in trouble, I couldn't get an STD. So it was great for her, but for me, it was I felt very different and very isolated. Um, but what that meant was that I wasn't really starting that vaginal dilatation process until I was around sixteen. Um, and I started it then not because I was ready to have sex, but just because I had all this other health stuff going on and they thought we might as well get it out of the way while we're dealing with all these other problems that you have.
0: Um, Is your mum in the corner no. like sweating? Like, no, 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 don't I, do it. My mum's there like
2: holding my hand, like looking the other side of like the, the curtain and being like, oh, <laughs> that doesn't look good. Um, <laughs> being like, I hope you enjoy it, sweetie. And I'm like, I don't. It hurts. It's horrible. <laughs> um, horrible. So the oh, concept you. of vaginal dilatation is you start with a small plastic rod um, and you graduate up in thickness and length and you force it in, break the skin open, bleed, and then do it again the next day and the next day until you gradually get bigger. So i wasn't enjoying that process so i just decided you know what until i get a guy in my life that i actually think is worth it i'm just going to pause on this process um so i paused on that process and basically when i met guys i would just say look this is cool i kind of like you but i can't physically have sex and quite often they'll just go running away um so that was how i dealt with dating i just had to be upfront and honest because i'd feel pretty ripped off if someone had something that was a big part of them that they weren't sharing with me from the beginning. Um, so I just, I was just upfront and honest. Um, and since I actually became sexually active, I didn't have to be so upfront and honest. Um, but now I've got a book and when you Google my name, it's like model with no bowel control. So <laughs> like, <laughs> it's either or now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i and we do love to share on the podcast uh, an amusing toilet tale or medical story. Do any come to mind for you that you'd like to share with us today? There are so many. Do you have a genre? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is, is there one that's your favourite? I mean, literally, we the stories we get sent tend to evolve around people having some sort of bowel accident. But it, whatever comes to mind for you, we can do a separate episode you on just, this. Just with you just solely yours. Like. <laughs> I could be like any topic, it could be like a spin the wheel. Um,
2: okay, so I think this, I've got one in particular that was probably very, or almost the most embarrassing. I've got quite a few that are very embarrassing. But this Please. one, I was over in the Netherlands um, when I was modelling there and the housemate that I was living with and I started getting slightly romantic and he introduced me to his mother. So oh, I was like, okay, this is all right, but serious. Um, so I went out with his mother for the day and we went to this farm and I was playing with some animals and I don't know if I picked something up from the animals but she was driving me home and I start to feel my stomach gurgle. And I'm like, that's the only warning I have. You know, I can't feel when things come out. I can't feel when they're about to go. I don't even have a rectum to store things in. It's just like an open dripping tap. Like I don't even have a sphincter to close it up, nothing. So I was sitting there, stomach gurgling, and I was like, it's going to be okay. We're close to home. Um, And the mom looks over and sees that I've gone like pale and stuff because it's, you know, painful. And I was like, and she's, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I just don't feel that well. She's like, okay. Anyway, then a few seconds later, I absolutely shit myself everywhere. Um, And I'm wearing these tight pants. Um and so I basically have to tell her like straight out. She's like, it happens. And I'm just like, I'm really sorry. I just pooped myself in your car. <laughs> and that was the first time I ever met her. And then I had to walk up three levels of stairs. That's like six flights. Oh my God. To get upstairs, pray to God that my housemate wasn't home. Um, and then try and clean myself up. And all I could say to her afterwards was, please do not tell your son. <laughs> <laughs> like my major concern um, and then every time I saw her since then she had a towel on her
0: feet so that was nice <laughs> <laughs> oh. I love this swearing to secrecy don't yeah. you dare but don't worry I'll put the towel
1: down no one's going to ask any questions about that <laughs> Oh gosh! I mean, if she, she, oh, if she did say, you me. know, don't worry about it, these things happen. She sounds like she was pretty understanding about it. Yeah. Was your housemate home when you got back? Thank God, no. Get in. no. Yes. no. Okay, phew. The, well, it. Yes. Okay for you. the toilet
2: was um, one of those ones with the two doors, and one door was into his <gasps> bedroom, the other door was into like the main
1: room. No. So, no. So
2: I'm glad he wasn't home.
1: Oh my gosh! Were the locks on both oh, doors? My God. Yeah, I think. Okay, yeah. I don't. I that one of my friends when growing up, she had a, a bathroom in between her bedroom and her sister's bedroom, and and every time I wanted to go, I was like, oh my god, someone could come in either door. I absolutely hate that design. No. Why do that? Two doors do into one bathroom. No, let's eliminate risk. One, not even a door, just a cat flap if, if possible. <laughs>
2: toilet in this little room with no sink and then you had to leave that room to go into the main bathroom that was also i hate that
1: to use sink anyway bad design design. i think that's why we just need more um people with disabilities to design toilets because what's going on right now ain't working i don't like it oh well anya i'm sorry that that happened but that is a
0: fantastic story thank you so much and thank you so much for coming on today you've been amazing if if people want to find you on social media where can they get hold of you you
2: can find me on instagram anya j Christofferson. um it's a long <laughs> one to spell but i should
0: be one of the only ones <laughs> uh, Fab. thank you honestly thank you so much for coming on i you've thank been you, amazing Annie. thank you
2: thank you thank you so much you guys are so great and
0: it's so funny <laughs> So I feel like you just get a sense of humour yeah, once you shit yourself a couple everyone. of times. It just like, it comes with the territory, I think. <laughs> you
1: know? Stop what you're
0: doing, let's talk about pooing. Okay, it's that time in the show where we share some more Toilet Tales. I I feel like the latest guests that we've had, we could almost end it there because the Toilet Tales they yeah. had provided for us have been so sensational, but lucky for us you fabulous listeners, have sent some more in so we can continue to bask in this shitstorm. So, Mm. Evie,
1: what is our
0: Toilet Tale this week? Yeah, so
1: right. We could have definitely ended it there with Anya, but we don't want to deprive you listeners. If you've sent us things and you want to share them, (laughs) we will fucking share it. So, this person says, Hello, ladies. I'm so grateful to have found your podcast. It has brought me much joy and laughter at a time when I really needed it. So much so that I have a turd tale for you well first of all can I just say thank you so much for that god this feels quite self-congratulating doesn't it we're just gonna read about how great we are <laughs> okay i'll read that bit out as well even though it's not relevant okay uh, so they say i was on my way back from a recruiting event with two male co-workers one of whom was driving his brand new truck the event had been hours long and i hadn't slowed down enough to realize i needed to go to the restroom oh there are When we pulled into the office parking garage, I felt it. I needed to go right then. As we parked, I quickly weighed up my options. I could rush to the building 20 yards away, followed by my co-workers, who would have had to go into the building to drop off tubs of recruiting supplies. What if I let out a toot and they had to trail through it? Worst (laughs) of all, what if I didn't make it to the building? He would surely know. So instead... I sped walked to my car, which was significantly closer, and as soon as I opened my door, it happened. And ladies, I was wearing a tight-fitted sweater dress with pantyhose.
0: Pantyhose!
1: Which are tights, by the way. I took a deep (laughs) breath and sat down in my car. No towels or bags to sit on, and then I had to drive home. Luckily, it was only a five-minute drive, but I spent it holding my breath, not sure if I should be laughing or crying. Once I was home, I had to penguin walk up the stairs to my apartment, all while praying that those pantyhose do not give out. Needless to say, I tossed one of my favourite dresses that day. I ended up having a good laugh and telling all my friends and family because it happens to so many of us. My ulcerative colitis and IBS journey has been a frustrating one, but you have both made it much more bearable. Thank you. Oh, wow. But a lovely thing to say. And, you know, it happened, it happened to me with the the tracksuit bottoms I had to throw yeah. them out and I loved them so much I had to penguin walk up the stairs uh, you know not a single thing that you did there have I not done myself and have not been has not been done by thousands nay hundreds of thousands before you and after you and you know there is there is no shame and it is always worse when you're with male I, I can't think of a worse connection to know people than them being your male co-workers no. Yeah. Or do, do you think
0: male co-workers would feel the same about female? Do you think it's something about the opposite sex? Or
1: I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it, I, I, I don't know. But I think I mean, particularly, you know, I suppose as a straight woman, yeah, a male co-worker. No, not not even just like in a sexual way. Just because you use different toilets, you don't have the... I feel like I wouldn't be able to laugh and share with them in the same way. Because I don't... Look, I don't like men very much. I get on with women. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to talk to them. That's what she's saying. I just don't like... But, you know, I feel feel like female colleagues are like, oh, you'll never guess what. But something with male co-workers, I kind of feel like maybe I want to be taken more seriously. Therefore, I wouldn't be able to tell them about shitting myself in my tights god tights that is the worst part yeah it. It. it's
0: tights, isn't it there's uh. something so restrictive about tights anyway so that but i guess sometimes i don't know about you like i can't sleep if i'm not wearing pants like i i, really? I, I can not sleep fully in the nude just because i feel like i can't um relax unless there is something like a barrier. Blocking those. Yeah, like a barrier.
1: Like, so actually maybe... later you say that... that somebody pulled the pants down before they shat in their bed, didn't they? Well, I did, yes, because that's what I mean. I literally took
0: them down. <laughs> in For those of you that don't know, please listen to our first episode where I shat myself in the bed and pulled my pants down while I was sleeping to shit myself. ha! <laughs> It's uh. so good. It's so terrible. But you see, like, clearly even then, I was like, yes, I must take this barrier away. Like, there is something about that for me that makes me relax. So something maybe even restrictive, although that would make it more uncomfortable, maybe I'd feel more at ease knowing there was something that essentially is going to catch it rather than <laughs> being commando. I have a question for you. Yeah. Have you ever seen anybody penguin walking? Because there is that very clear like and again working in a school I see it with kids <laughs> or one of the little boys that I work with if he laughs too much he wheezes mm. so he'll always be like stop 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 and then he'll like hobble away like Aww. holding himself which is always great for your, for your ego when you've made Someone a 6 year old
1: laugh so much but have you ever seen anybody down the street doing a penguin walk um i mean yeah obviously with the kids uh, I constantly I'm just working out when they've shit um but i think i think I have actually. I think I saw a man in Exeter when I was mm-hmm. working in walkabout. He was in Walkabout. It was like a day shift. And it was the rugby. And he like sort of penguin walked downstairs to the bathroom. I thought, Well, I really do think you shit yourself. Yeah. Um, but some people just have strange walks. Some people might just carry on walking normally. Um but so I think yes, but I could never be a hundred percent confident, apart from that one man. Have you? Well, yeah, obviously. Well, I had a bit, a bit of a penguin walk myself
0: this week, but because my shorts kept riding up in the middle, oh. and so my legs were chafing, so I was like walking really, really funny, and I kept thinking to myself, "People are going to think I've shot myself because I, I." It wasn't even so much a penguin walk; it was almost like a penguin shuffle, was just it? trying to, just trying to get home. But oh, well, thank shuffle. you so much for sending in. That story, like you said, so many people can relate, and I I love that you said I just went straight away and told my friends because yep. I do honestly yeah. think that is the best thing you can do is just <laughs> spread the joy, get it out straight away, and then you'll feel better. You Absolutely. always
1: do. And I'm sorry to hear that you've uh, had a bit of a bumpy bumpy road with colitis and IBS, but you know, come one, come all, come and come and join us over here, over the other mm-hmm. side of the pond, yes. into the swamp
0: to a shitty murky swamp, swamp. Um, <laughs> yes. so thank you for that and thank you to the amazing anya christopherson who joined us today she was just she was fabulous right. she fine. was okay i mean she hasn't really done much with her life i think she needs to you know get it yeah, she needs to stop having such an ego we've got to stop interviewing these guests because i can see our faces when we're reading out their introductions and we're just like what the fuck have yeah. we done with our lives? Please? I feel so depressed. <laughs> we're both we're sat here in our pajamas, both of yeah. us, and she yeah. obviously this beautiful model just joins us on Zoom, and both of us are like, oh fuck, I should have had a
1: watch. This is not ideal. Claudia, again, speak for yourself. <laughs> Stop saying that I look like shit. <laughs>
0: I feel great. I really like what my
1: pyjamas I'm wearing.
0: Your pyjamas are fabulous. I'm not saying oh, that they look nice like smell. shit, but maybe
1: mm. we should have washed ourselves before we interviewed yeah. a model. Hey, should I have brushed my teeth? Sure. Can I still taste I the garlic either. last night? Yes.
0: I haven't either. No. I haven't brushed my teeth either.
1: I just learned something. Apparently, you should brush your teeth before you have breakfast. No. Yes. Because of the fluoride. So you, I mean, I do, because I eat my breakfast at work, but I wouldn't, if I was at home, I wouldn't. Yeah, no, me either, But because I don't want my breakfast to taste like um, toothpaste, but you brush yeah. your teeth like, straight away, so then the fluoride has longer on your teeth to work, so then when you do it, it fights the bacteria way more effectively. But sure, I'm not going to get into this, but... That's what my that's, that's what a certified board dentist told me. Oh, well,
0: bugger off then. If that's the case, that's no. the freaking case, isn't it? Yeah. Well... I mean, I need to go get on with my puzzle. So. Okay, you've
1: got a puzzle to get on with. I've got to go and get pfizer If you brush your teeth before breakfast, email us in at thepoodcastofficial at gmail.com or message us on social media. The underscore poodcast. Tell us about your teeth, your bum, and your penis. If you've got a penis... We don't hear from people with penises that much.
0: We don't that much, actually. It's yes, probably because I just said no. I don't like men. That I feel like there is some sort of Venn
1: diagram here. That yeah, that
0: might that might be a little something to do with it. But yeah, stretch out, stretch <laughs> out, stretch out your penis and stretch reach out. out
1: to us. Dilate yourself.
0: <laughs>
1: Goodbye. Bye.